0: What does it mean for Jung to be a Christian? Those symbols of the Christian church continued to matter to him deeply. The crucifixion remained a central image in his thinking. And the idea of resurrection? Well, he reframed it in terms of winning through to a resurrected body while one is still one is still alive. But that is the kind of language that he would not use if he had abandoned the Christian mythology, the Christian story.
1: Welcome to Psychology on the Cross. In this episode, I engaged in a dialogue with Anne Conrad Lammers, Anne has worked and written at the crossroads of theology and psychology for the last 40 years. Her doctoral work at Yale University led to the book In God's Shadow, the collaboration of Victor White and Sigi Jung. She's a co-editor of the Jung White Letters, the Jung Kirsch Letters, as well as an editor and co-translator of Erik Neumann's two-volume work, The Roots of Jewish Consciousness. She is currently the English language editor and assistant translator for a selection of Emma Jung's previously unpublished writings and artworks. In this episode, Anne guides us through the creative and complex relationship between C.G. Jung and Dominican priest Victor White. A foundational relationship for Jung and for anyone interested in a deepened dialogue between Jungian psychology and Christian faith. With the white-Jung relationship as a backdrop, Anne shares her view on Jung as a Christian, the proposed idea of Jung as a therapist of an aiding Christian tradition, as well as the necessity of Jung's relativized Christ for a continued conversation between Jungian psychology and the cross. But we start from the beginning. How did it all begin?
0: How did it start? There's been so many chapters in my relationship to Tsege Jung. Um, I think my first hint about Sege Jung probably came while I was a senior in high school, so 17 years old, the wife of one of the senior faculty at the boarding school where I was studying, put me up to thinking about Jung's writing about the feminine because I had given myself an assignment to write an independent study paper, a scholarly paper that was far beyond me. It was more than I knew how to do at that age, but I was fearless and I jumped in. And I wanted to write about how women are portrayed in literature, (laughs) rather a small topic, Once I got to studying in seminary, I gravitated immediately to courses on theology and psychology. By that time, I was already um, a mother of two children and divorced and quite invested in the Prospect or possibility of ministry, especially therapeutic, therapeutically understood, a healing. How would healing come to people from both the psychological and the theological side? I took more than one course on schools of depth psychology in relation to theology, and that gave me a chance to sink my teeth into some of Jung's writings in a graduate school context where it was possible to ask difficult questions and get some kind of guidance in how one would approach those answers. It was Jung that took me by the lapels and dragged me deeper. I couldn't stop reading. When I began to uh, think about further graduate study, I was still not through digging into the marriage or bridge or combination that I wanted between theology and psychology. And by the time I had done three years at seminary, I had a fair idea about schools of theology. I knew how many different voices there were in the room, even to do um, any kind of exegesis of of a biblical passage. There were many voices in the room By then, I was in my later 30s when I began doctoral work at Yale in their religious studies department. Bless them, they gave me lots of rope to hang myself with. I I did an independent program that was permitted under their generous understanding of what their department was for. It included some pretty demanding theological seminars for which I'm ever grateful. And I had to decide for myself what to do about the psychological side of my study program. Well, it was going to be C.J. Jung. There was no question about that. I needed to find some way to make the theology side of the equation and the psychology side talk to each other. And that meant I had, essentially, I had to find a case study. I was guided to the letters that Jung wrote to Victor White. At that point, we only had Jung's side and only three quarters of Jung's letters to White had been published, but that was already a lot.
2: For the people who don't know much about Victor White, or or maybe only that he he was a priest, or that he was a Dominican, uh, or maybe not even that, could could you give a a short introduction to Victor White?
0: Victor White was the son of an Anglican priest. Um, He and his father were estranged. Um, There are some clues that make me think that his father was a pretty hard man, hard to love, a hard man to be the son of, and White, who had a calling from early on towards theological study and the ministry, decided to become a Catholic and did. By the time he was 19, he was already a Dominican. He had joined the Dominican order and he was getting a thorough grounding in philosophy, four years of philosophical coursework before three years, I think, of theological coursework. The very rigorous training that Dominicans were given who who came into the order as young people, as, as White did. He was born in Croydon, part of London now. But his resting place, his, his permanent place to do his study and teaching was the Oxford Black Friors House. Victor White was a systematic theologian. He was a good orthodox Thomist. He had done a fair amount of study in neo-scholastic writings but his own leaning was towards a part of St. Thomas's teaching that prepared him, in a way, to work with Jung, because one of his very important papers was on the concept and process of affective knowledge. You know, most of St. Thomas's writings are propositional and discursive, and logical and rational. But there was a side of Aquinas that dealt in direct, intimate knowledge of God, a leaning towards mysticism, if you like, and it was known for Victor White's purposes as affective knowledge. This was very important to White, and it prepared him to be open to the experiential and experimental side of learning that made Jung's work congenial to him. And it made him congenial to Jung. White went through some personal turmoil during the Second World War and began doing Jungian analysis but with, with an analyst in in London, John Layard, rather a colorful, colorful personality, but he was helpful to White. And when White first went to see him, it was really an eye opener for him. He hadn't heard of Jung before and John Layard began informing him about concepts like the shadow. Well, during the Second World War, which is when all this is going on. Um, you couldn't send a letter to Switzerland or a package. Uh, the, the mails were not open during the war, and it wasn't until 1945 August that White was able finally, and he'd been he'd been uh, preparing himself to write to Jung, and he finally got his chance, and he sent Jung for off-prints of papers that he had written about Jung's thought and about Thomas Aquinas. And I mean, you know, he, he tried to, to make a, a blend or to bridge over between Orthodox Catholic thought in the Thomistic world and Jungian psychology, depth psychology. And he found several ways that Jung and Aquinas were soulmates. Um, They're both teleological in their thought. They're looking at a final cause. For Jung, the self is pulling the ego towards its wholeness. That's teleology. The telos, the goal. And for Aquinas, following Aristotle, um God works teleologically. The whole salvation history is teleology. It's all going towards the ultimate revelation of the kingdom. And for White, the payoff would have been that he wanted to make Catholicism, Orthodox theological Christianity acceptable, usable helpful to modern human beings, human beings as they are today, not as they were in Aquinas' day, but as they are now. And so he wanted to bring Jung into his Thomistic world in much the way that Thomas Aquinas brought Aristotle into his theological world. Only problem was Aristotle had finished his writings by the time Thomas got to him CG Jung was very much a work in process a man in process he was still working on things
2: and and, and when Victor white reached out to Jung with those uh, the first letter, and um, What what was what was Jung seeing in 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 Victor White then? When Victor White showed up and sent him those four papers that he had
0: written, Jung thought this was it. He had the collaborator he'd been looking for.
3: Fifth of October, nineteen hundred forty-five. My dear Father White. In the meantime I have finished reading the pamphlets you kindly have sent me. My first reaction was what a pity that you live in England and that I don't have you at my elbow when I'm blundering in the wide field of theological knowledge. Excuse the irreverential pun. You are to me a white raven. Inasmuch as you are the only theologian I know who has really understood something of what the problem of psychology in our present world means, you have seen its enormous implications. I cannot tell you how glad I am that I know a man, a theologian, who is conscientious enough to weigh my opinions on the basis of a careful study of my writings. It is a gigantic task indeed, to create a new approach to an old truth. More than once I have put the question to my theological friends. What about the new wine in old skins? The old way of interpreting has itself to be interpreted. This time with the help of science. I do not combat the Christian truth. I'm only arguing with the modern mind. We have known for long and sufficiently well how things ought to be, but we don't know how to bring them about. This is my main concern. Victor White
0: was open to the experimental and pragmatic and empirical science of psychology. Victor White would hear him without distorting the message. And he would learn, in turn, how to use the language that Victor White was an expert in applying. So both of them had a sense of urgency. Jung, because he was reaching the last years of his life, Already, I mean, the, their their relationship lasted for fifteen years. At the ends of both of their lives, White died very young of cancer, well, pretty young in his fifties, and Jung died of old age. But they died within a year of each other. When they began their collaboration, they both thought that they could save the Christian West. I mean, you know, putting it very. Boldly, they wanted to help the culture, help the civilization which had just come through this terrible war
2: so, so what about uh, the white Raven Jung's description of uh, Victor white could you well he's something? making
0: he's making a nice little pun um, but he's also referring to the passage in um Kings, I think the Book of Kings, Elijah is fed by ravens. He's out in the wilderness dying, and ravens bring him his food. So white was a gift from God, bringing young out in the wilderness, all, all alone. The voice of you know the voice of the prophet prophet who is not wanted in his own country. White was bringing him his sustenance. That's why White is a white raven. And of course, it's important that he should be a white raven,
2: mm-hmm.
0: not a black one. Black ones are uh, bad luck, as we know, and a
2: portent of death. Right. Well, just When you said that now, I'm, I'm thinking of that famous picture, the photo of the two that you also have printed in your book, where actually Victor White is in his black dress and, and Jung is dressed in white. Yeah,
0: yeah. and when Victor White... Um, looked at that photograph. According to one of his friends, Ilred Squire, he pointed to that picture and made a wisecrack about it. He said, there's God of the unconscious. God and the unconscious is the name of one of Victor White's books. Okay? So here's a picture. Jung is God.
4: White is the unconscious, the one in the shadow. 23rd of October, 1945. My dear Professor Jung, it is quite impossible for me to express my gratitude to you for your letter, or to tell you how much it has meant to me. For some time past I have found myself plowing a rather lonely furrow, painfully aware of the inadequacy of my experience on the psychological side, and for my need for expert and understanding guidance, at least to the extent of some reassurance, that I was not positively on the wrong lines from the psychological standpoint. How very much do I also wish that I could indeed be at your elbow, though very much aware that the benefit would be far greater on my side. I am afraid, however, that this is impossible, and that I must try to be useful where I actually am. But perhaps I may have the boldness to say that nothing on Earth could please or profit me more than to be able to visit you, if only for two or three days.:
0: And they had about five years of really positive collaboration. What happened right away was that extraordinarily invited White to come and stay with him at Bollingen at the tower. That just didn't happen off the the bat with every stranger who wrote to him. That tells you something about how earnestly Jung wanted to engage with this man. White was delighted and came, of course, and they spent time talking to each other and sailing. And White went home from that visit with a dream that he wrote to Jung, that they were out sailing and Jung was smoking his pipe and not paying attention to the helm. He was just letting the wind carry them. And they were being carried through rocks and Jung wasn't upset about that in the dream. And they somehow or other came up on the shore and the boat had developed wheels and rolled on the shore. It was amphibious. So this was how White's unconscious greeted the relationship. And Jung wrote back saying it is indeed a dangerous an exciting but a dangerous journey that we are on. And the wind is in charge. Which as a sailor would be a horrifying conclusion. You don't let the wind be in charge. You keep your hand on the helm and you work your sails and guide your boat, especially if there are rocks. But Jung himself was um, a bit euphoric, I think, about the prospects of this relationship. After this, they both did a good deal of important writing. Victor White chose to ignore certain things in Jung's writings that he had access to. There was a lecture that Jung had given at Arno's about the Trinity that White got hold of and read. And... He chose to overlook the the section of that lecture that says the Trinity is incomplete without the fourth. The fourth has to include evil. Well, that was going to be extremely problematic, and White ignored it at that point. In um, 1948 when Jung was busy writing his lecture for Eranos for that summer, the title was Über das Selbst, About the Self or On the Self. And that was another of his writings that went pretty deep into the issue of God needing uh, or God having an evil side, God being both good and evil, complexio oppositorum. Victor White couldn't make sense of it. White was being shown at that point in 48 a kind of red-hot, revelatory process that Jung was going through, that Jung was very excited about. And it fell with a thud. White could not assimilate it. He couldn't make sense of all these positive and negative polarities within what was meant to be sacred. That just didn't scan for White's orthodox, domestic mind. He couldn't make it, he couldn't assimilate it and digest it. And he couldn't greet it with joy, which is what Jung would have hoped for, I think. And what White did instead was to write an extremely critical review of, On the self and he said Jung is falling into Manichaeism a belief that there are two gods, a good and a bad or something like that. It's a dualistic error, a heresy basically. He gave Jung some in his review, he gave Jung some advice about readings that he might do that would straighten him out And it is so condescending what what White wrote. It sounds like the kind of advice that you would give to a first year theology student who hasn't done his assignment. And his next letter to White, where he took White's argument apart in rather angry terms. He resented very much being called a manichee. Things did not get better after that. Their, their letters get really almost incomprehensible at a certain point. this was going on, White was also encountering a crisis in his his life as a Dominican because Jung came out with Answer to Job shortly after, in 1951, Um, and White read it. And at first, White's understanding was that this was a piece of writing that Jung would share with his inner circle, by no means was it going to be published.
4: Well, that was never really Jung's intention. 5th of April, 1952. My dear CG, thank you a million for Hiob. Though I have countless other things to do, I can hardly put it down. It is the most exciting and moving book I have read in years, and somehow it arouses tremendous bonds of sympathy between us, and lights up all sorts of dark places both in the scriptures and in my own psyche. Of course, this is not a considered judgment on all it says. The first impact is too strong for me to dare any such thing. I love
0: it. I've never seen anything better and that was White's first reaction to answer to Job when he thought it wasn't going to be published. But it was published. And then in 1954, it was published in English. And now White really had a problem because his colleagues were reading it. As long as it was only in German, it could fly under the radar. But now his English language speaking English Dominicans could read Answer to Job in English. And White had already hitched his wagon so firmly to Jung's that he couldn't separate his career from Jung's writings. And Answer to Job was a problem for White's colleagues and therefore for his superiors and therefore for White's career. White was supposed to have become the regent of studies, which is a position that he earned and needed to have and should have had and would have been good at. He would have controlled the whole curriculum for Oxford Blackfriars. For all the young young men who were coming in, he would have been in charge of their learning and he would have done a great job. But also because of an accident of history, a very highly placed Dominican in Rome who was sympathetic to White had died in a car accident and was replaced by the next man in line for that job who was extremely conservative and didn't like White's work or White's reputation or White's connection to home at all. And all of a sudden, White was not going to be the regent of studies. In fact, he had to go take a sabbatical in California. He was kind of exiled from England. This crash in his career came at the same time that Jung's wife was dying of cancer. And the combination of White running into a brick wall in his professional life and being sent away and Jung encountering the final illness
2: of Emma Jung
0: um, meant that neither man had any libido left.
2: You, uh, who have spent so much time, uh, maybe more than most of the people on this planet, with uh, these two men and, and this correspondence and this hope for a collaboration that started so enthusiastically from, from both sides. You speak in your book about the bridge makers and also that they're using the metaphor at times in their conversation of uh, building bridges or a a a bridge building. I'm wondering, how, how do you look at the collaboration?
0: Well, in my view, if one could abstract the collaboration away from the biographies of the two men... So that they would have so that they would have infinite amounts of energy and time to commit it, because they loved each other, they were real friends, and you can see that at the end when they reconcile as much as possible before the deaths of both of them, if this whole explosion around the time of nineteen fifty four had not been made more difficult or even inevitable by whites. He was was a captive at that point. He had already decided not to leave his order. He wasn't going to make it in the outer world. He was going to stay on as a Dominican. And now he had been denied the promotion that he ought to have had. He was very angry, but he couldn't get angry at his superiors. Not if he was going to stay in the order where that anger flowed was towards Jung. Jung did have a wife who was dying in 1955, and he had no more patience for this argumentative cleric who had turned on him. What if... had had infinite amounts of time and patience. What if they had not been each in their own way suffering so much in 1955? I don't know if they would have had to fall into the silence, the distance that they were forced into at that point. Jung basically said to White, don't write anymore. Don't contact me. The next question is, but what about matters of principle, could they, in fact, have built a bridge between their two starting points? And in my book, In God's Shadow, I made it my job to try and sort that out. And I came to the conclusion, that because of the differences of epistemology, how do you know what you know? They were never going to create a simple or harmonious connection between their two systems of thought that wasn't really within the realm of possibility from the time they began. They both got a bit carried away by their hopefulness and their excitement about finding each other and White's willingness to just gloss over the things in Jung's writing that he really couldn't agree with. I think he thought that eventually he could bring Jung around because he underestimated how deeply rooted those statements of Jung's were in Jung's experience and his thought. He wasn't going to leave behind, Jung wasn't, the concept of God as the complex of opposites. And the opposites include, for Jung, evil. White couldn't go there and Jung couldn't be elsewhere. So I think, in the end, it was not a bridge that anybody could have built, not from their starting points.
3: 30th of April, 1960. My dear Victor, I have heard of your illness, and I should have liked to come to England to see you. But I have to be careful with my own health, and I must avoid all exertions. As I'm completing my 85th year, I'm really old, and my forces are definitely limited. I want to assure you of my loyal friendship. I shall not forget all the useful things I have learned through our many talks and through your forbearance with me. I was often sorry to be a Petra Scandali. It is my fate, however, not my choice. And I had to fulfill this unbecoming role. Things had to be moved. In the great crisis of our time. New wine needs new skins. 8th of May, 1960.
4: My very dear C.G. Of course, I understand that it is impractical for us to meet at present. Perhaps we will in another world or dimension where we know even as we are known. I am more convinced than ever of the importance of your pioneer work for humanity, even for those who cannot agree with every word you say, but have to take part in the dialectic discussion with you. I do not know if it is true that you have been a petrous scandalier to me, as you say you have, but to the extent that you may have been, I think that I can honestly say that I am grateful for it.
2: Well, I'm also thinking about uh, Jung's side in in this collaboration. Uh, You're writing about that also in your book, uh, that... uh, maybe a quote partly here, Jung could not act as a therapist if he failed in one of the basic conditions he required of himself as a doctor. His therapeutic stance toward Christianity may therefore not be as viable as Murray Stein and others have argued. It may be too biased from the start by his rejection of the conceptual coinage of theology. You really described really well and in a rich way the shortcomings, maybe, or the difficulties that that White had, but but also trying to understand this from from, from Jung's side. Uh, And also then in this uh, quote that you shared from your book, you are commenting on on the um, Murray Stein and others, Yeah, this presentation of that Jung was actually a doctor of Christianity, or he tried to treat it as you would treat a patient, but you're saying in a way that he... He did not really maybe follow then the method that he had established for himself, which was that first you need to get to know the patient and listen to the patient before you, and and learn the language of the patient before uh, any treatment can actually uh, take place.
0: I think Jung wished he could be uh, a doctor to the Christian West, tried his hardest to be but the patient wasn't asking for treatment for for this of, of this kind from him or maybe some were just as the institution that white belonged to mm-hmm. had power a power shadow the most churches do i don't think you can be a doctor to an institution Unless the institution has hit a a crisis point and asks for someone to come in and sort them out. And then you can help up to a point, but I don't know that you can do the kind of healing and reform from, from outside
2: When I read your book, or at least in that chapter, I also I get the sense that you're saying that maybe he was not interested to learn all the details, for example, around uh, the theology or the maybe was he interested enough in the patient or had he a genuine interest in in healing that patient?
0: I think when it came to individuals, he certainly was interested in healing the patient. But I think there's something a little grandiose, and maybe, uh, well, let's just leave it at that. Just a little grandiose in thinking that you can heal a tradition or heal an institution, unless you're inside it.
2: But you have to be in the institution. You have to be inside.
0: Well, I'd I'd like to hear somebody tell the story of how a ref- how an institution was reformed from the outside.
2: Well, I also used to like us uh, to to, to spend a few minutes uh, on, on something that we come back to in the previous episodes with other scholars and analysts, and that is about the Jung's BBC interview at the end of his life and when being asked about his faith and answering, I don't need to believe, I know.
0: In principle, Jung knows and often repeats that God is unknowable unknowable this was something on which he and White agreed by the way one of White's books is titled The Unknown God so he can't mean that he can't be reversing himself on that point so what is it that he's saying I think he's talking about what he elsewhere says is the impact of direct experience direct personal experience, his encounters with the unknown God. He knows what he himself has lived, and he doesn't rely on a system of belief. He has no doubts, and therefore he doesn't need to believe because the experience was direct and personal and intimate, and it's part of him. That he doesn't need to believe that he knows. This again could become self-validating, a self-validating position. If If you imitate Jung, if you take this as your standard of how to approach the divine, then any convincing experience is self-validating and you become the, the authority because you had the experience. And that could become delusional. I think we have to look at the shape of Jung's life to decide was he being delusional or was he just saying, this is where I stand, based on my experience. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that any individual imitating Jung needs to be part of a validating community. There needs to be more more wisdom here than just my estimation of my own mission in life. I may get a sense of calling But I need to have it validated by the group. There needs to be a trustworthy circle. I mean, Jung said, for heaven's sakes, don't imitate me. Be yourself.
2: But I'm wondering, do you then view yourself, do you view Jung as as a Christian?
0: Yes, I do, because I think he was capable of being more than one thing. What does it mean for Jung to be a Christian? Those symbols of the Christian church continued to matter to him deeply. The crucifixion remained a central image in his thinking. And the idea of resurrection? Well, he reframed it in terms of winning through to a resurrected body while one is still living, while one is still alive. Um, and that's a figure of speech. I'm not sure how, how it applies to Jung himself or how it applied to any of his followers who heard him say it, but that is the kind of language that he would not use if he had abandoned the Christian mythology, the Christian story. So he's still living in the Christian myth.
2: And is there a way for you to also see his project as a sort of attempt to reform Christianity?
0: I think um, John D'Orly is perfectly right. That he wanted to transcend Christianity, reform it if he could, transcend it. You know, he thought it might take another six hundred years.
2: Is there a vision, or an, uh, is yeah, or is there room for for Christ in that uh, vision of Jung?
0: Jung never abandoned referring to Christ. He never gave it up. He never rejected that Christian, that central figure of Christianity. So how do you, how could one answer that? Is there room? There was for Jung. It's just that he reframed everything in terms of, the soul's individual experience. And so for the individual psyche, the individual soul, that image of Christ is a powerful inner person, a powerful inner presence. Unless it's not, unless your, your um, roots are planted somewhere else. So if your roots are planted in Christian soil, Why should the image and person
2: of Christ be irrelevant to you? Well, I guess some people might argue that Jung relativizes Christ and make him a symbol of many.
0: Oh, yes. I think that's perfectly true. And if one begins from a perspective of absolute... Dedication to how to put it, propositionally defined Christian thought, then Jung becomes unappetizing, unacceptable. Jung's, it's not acceptable to relativize. Christ can't be just one symbol of the self for an author, for many Orthodox Christians. So it, it depends. Yeah, you asked for me. I would say what one wise priest once said to me, I think God knows more than we do. God knows what there is room for. I, I would love to see some spaciousness, a personal conscience in this discussion. And for my, for my conscience... There is room for Jung's relativized idea of Christ. I don't know if it's how I will end my, my days on earth appealing to Jung's relativized Christ, but there is room for that in the discussion.